You're listening to the I-5 Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the I-5 Corridor podcast. It is Wednesday, April 13th. There is no longer snow on the ground, which apparently it means it's baseball season. So we're, we're going to bring in Corey Brock. He's the, the Mariners beat writer for The Athletic, a now two-time guest on the I-5 Corridor podcast. Corey, I think the last time we talked to you, uh, the Mariners were right in the thick of the playoff race, and now uh, now we have a very long way to go. How's it going, man? <laughs> it's going well. I, I must have done all right if you're having me back for a second time. Uh, or or it's just we we know very few people here, and, and you're one of the people who have been gracious enough to, to lend us your time. <laughs> time yeah, it's here. a slow week. Let's just call it what it is. I, I, I want to get into into Julio Rodriguez, Jared Kelnick, uh, Matt Brash, who has one of the filthiest knuckle curve sliders, whatever the heck StatCast wants to call it. Uh, but but first of all, just like how how was the opening day road trip, especially with uh, the cancellation on, on Thursday night? Uh, and, and then also, I mean, the fact that this is a week delayed after uh, after the, the lockout for I, I'm, I'm sure people are just stoked that baseball's here, but but it took us a long time to get to this opening day. A real long time, and let's not pretend that uh, you know it all looked pretty tenuous at certain points during the lockout. Whether these guys were actually going to be able to agree on anything um, for the longest time, I don't think they were able to agree on what day of the week it was. Um, <laughs> so that that we got finally got the season underway, albeit delayed. Um, I just spent, uh, I believe, six days, seven days in Minneapolis because of off days and things of that nature. So I'm now a temporary resident of the state of Minnesota. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that entitles me to, but uh, it was, you know, it was a good, uh, the Mariners went two and two in Minneapolis. And I tell you what, Tyson, you'll appreciate this. We didn't get a lick of snow or a drop of rain the whole time we were there. So, which for an open-air stadium in Minneapolis in the month of April, early April, no less, is pretty impressive. So, yeah, we've got a lot to dive into. This is uh, certainly won't be a boring Mariners bunch this year. Where where does Minneapolis rank on the I'm stuck there for four days road trip list? Oh, it's... It's a sleeper city, man. I'm I've always been high on Minneapolis, St. Paul. It's uh, it's a cool area, and um, you know a lot of cool bars and restaurants. Uh, this uh, the stadium is downtown. It's one of my favorites. It probably has the smallest footprint of any ballpark in Major League Baseball. Um, it, you know, really intimate. Um, and they have these. Uh, I don't know if you've been there, Tyson, but they have these skywalks that connect all these buildings. So if it's, you know, three degrees outside, which it wasn't, but let's be honest, it probably is a lot of the time. Um, you don't have to set a foot outside. You could just walk from building to building over these skywalks and it'll take you right to the stadium. So yeah, let's just say I found plenty of things to do in my time there when I wasn't watching baseball. We, we, we had, um, kind of like a small scale version of that in, in Anchorage, you could, you could maybe go across like two or three different blocks in the city, but there's just not that many cool places to actually want to get to in, in Anchorage in the middle of the winter. So, um, that's fair. Okay. So first actual baseball question I have for you, because this is, this is the year. I mean, it seems like this happens every five or six years where the national media decides that, Hey, like let's throw the Mariners in as a potential cont contender. Um, 
and I was I was cleaning out my shed last week, and I found a 2002 Seattle Times season preview cover, and it has Ichiro and Brett Boone on it, and it's just basically saying like this is the year, and now it's been 20 years since, <laughs> 20 years later, it's it's still kind of being projected as this is the year, and and so my question is. Do you think Mariners fans this year should be more invested in watching the development of a Julio Rodriguez, a Jared Kelnick, a Matt Brash, or is this actually the year where people should kind of start buying into that hype and, and thinking that I'm going to follow this team like I would a playoff team throughout a season? I think you could do both. And I think we started to see signs of this last year when the Mariners uh, somehow won 90 games, despite probably one of the worst offenses in baseball. Um, you remember that final series, Tyson, against the Angels, uh, three games, three sold-out crowds. I think people won't really are starving to come back out and support a winner, and I think they look at this group as uh, with some exciting young players. Uh, they made a trade in spring training to hopefully will improve their offense, really have some interesting pieces, and I think – um, I think it'll be a, a wildly fascinating year. I, I mean, I can't sit here and say today that the Mariners will win 90 games again. In fact, I don't think they will. But with the expanded playoffs, I think there's certainly a greater opportunity for them to get into the postseason, and um, which, you know, I, I think is great and I think is well needed at this point. I mean, the Mariners, Mariners have slid down the list um, – in terms of the pecking order, I think, in the city of Seattle, King County and Western Washington, in terms of, you know, teams that are um, really supported and teams that fans want to get behind. And we could argue what that looks like, but, you know, I'm sure it's the Seahawks on top and then everything else falls into place. But I think fans will support a winner. There's still very few places in the country that are during the summer. You know, it's a great place to be. I know you you know your way around that bullpen area out there, Tyson. I've, I've been out there with you before. So it's a, it could be a pretty rocking place. So I think these guys are trending up upwards, but, you know, it's still incumbent upon them to um, – there might still be a move or two uh, here with this group. They may have to go out and get another bat. I thought they were a bat short coming out of spring training. And, you know, you don't want to read too much in these early results, but – um, I still think uh, scoring runs might be a little bit of a struggle for them. Um, but but again, I think the pitching is, is really good, too. So we'll see where this leads them. Yeah, that's that's, um, you know, watching watching the, the opening series uh, with Minnesota. Um, you know, as someone who has watched a lot of Mariners baseball for the last 20, 30 years, uh, you start to get kind of some flashbacks when you see what has it been uh just a couple earned two two runs for them the last the last two games or so uh you have a pitcher like Matt Brash have a a stellar debut and just to to kind of end up losing a no decision like that like is is the offense going to be a huge issue again like 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 how do they kind of retool this i know you talked about adding a bat but uh man i'm just getting i'm just getting scared of of thinking there's going to be a lot of another a lot of a 2-1 three, three, 2 type of games this season I mean, I think the additions of um, Adam Frazier and Jesse Winker will help in terms of um, – I think they're generally their bat-to-ball skills will be much better. Um, these guys will can also take some walks. Um, you know, I think these guys have a pretty good pedigree in terms of success in the big leagues. So I think those two guys alone should make this group better. But 
that being said, you're also asking young players like Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelnick to, you know, to find their footing and to be able to contribute. I think we saw Jared Kelnick in the second half when he came back up after that really tough first go in the big leagues, he was a lot better. And I think in September he was probably one of their better hitters. Yeah. And Julio Rodriguez, I think he'll be, I think he'll be fine. You know, he's been victim to some, some bad calls and I don't want to be that guy, you know, talking about the strike zone, but um, I think his results will kind of normalize a little bit. He'll still be a very exciting player to watch moving forward. So I do think this offense has the potential to be better. Um, you know, let's just see when, when that kicks in though. It hasn't so far, but you know, you know, the pitching is going to keep them in all these games. It's not like they have to score 12 runs a game to win, but they they certainly need to score more than one or two. It's, it's interesting being at this point for this club, because I, I remember, I think this might've been one of the first times I actually met you. It was, it might've been your first or second season on the athletic or on the Mariners beat that is. And, and we were, I think I was asking you like, you know, what are you doing for work this week? And I think you were going down to Tacoma because at that point the, the Mariners were, were pretty bad. And it was very clear that, you know, the Julio Rodriguez is the Kelnicks, like that young core uh, was going to be the future of them. So like, as, as somebody who really kind of dove into the Mariners farm system and, and that this rebuild when it was happening in kind of like 17, 18, 19, um, what, what stood out to you back then and how, like, and where, where do you think that that has translated to this lineup in this organization now here at a point where, yeah, pe- people do kind of believe and expect them to kind of be in contention moving forward? Yeah, well, the farm system was pretty bad before they went down the rebuild path and they acquired a lot of young players over the last three or four years. Some have panned out, some haven't, some we just don't have enough information on to know exactly what, you know, what we're going to get. So I think generally the farm system has gotten a lot better. They've drafted very well. Um, there was that stretch there where they took three college pitchers uh, with their first pick, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, and Emerson Hancock. Um, and, you know, what, what it's done is, you know, what, with the by building your farm system up, it can not only – potentially to help you at the big league level, but you could end up using some of these assets to get you win now players. Um, and that's what they did. They traded Brandon Williamson, one of their top prospects, a left-handed pitcher to the Reds in February for Gino Suarez, the third baseman and Jesse Winker, who I talked about. And there may still be more of those trades coming because, um, you know, I think a lot of people throughout the industry really think a lot of the Mariners prospects some of which they have no intention of trading, and rightfully so. But there still are a few people, a few players that they can move maybe to get better right now. Because it's important to realize that, you know, these competitive windows for these teams, uh, when you're not the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Red Sox, it's these competitive windows um, are pretty finite. You know, it, it opens a little bit, and you better get your foot in there, and you better take advantage of it. So... I think they view this as their window now, uh, this year, next year, and we'll see where that goes. But uh, the farm system has been good. It's produced some exciting players. Uh, and for the longest time, this organization just didn't do that. But here they've already brought up last year was Kelnick and Logan Gilbert. Julio Rodriguez is here. 
Uh, Matt Brash, obviously they acquired him from the Padres, but he had a big year in the minor leagues last year. So yeah, they have some guys. Um, now can those guys help them or indirectly help them by making another trade? I seem to think that Jerry will, and this is just my own guess, will go out and get a bat at some point. You can't do that in April and May. Teams are just kind of set into their lineups and then want to see what their guys could do. But you know, I still think that this roster could look uh, different, maybe even dramatically different by the end of the season. Mute, mute button. Uh, I was just, I was just following okay. up. Uh, they, they have quite a bit of payroll flexibility, don't they? They still do. Yeah, they still rank in that lower, lower third of in terms of big league payroll, and some of that's because you know they have some young service time guys that just aren't making that much money, but. Um, yeah, I think there's still a chance to grow that payroll. I know they sort of got raked over the coals a little bit for not signing any of these big free agents. But, you know, to be honest with you, I, I just don't think going seven years on Chris Bryant or seven years on Marcus Simeon is, is maybe a really good financial decision. I think the market kind of got out of hand a little bit and they were they knew how far they were willing to go on some of these guys. and just weren't willing to go any further. And then we also have to realize, and fans don't, sometimes don't want to see this, Tyson, <laughs> sometimes players just don't want to come here or they don't want to go to a certain city. Um, and that's their prerogative. They've earned that by uh, reaching free agency. So I always saw it coming out of the lockout, the Mariners' best bet to improve the roster after adding Robbie Ray and Adam Frazier uh, before the lockout was to make a trade, and that's what they did. Robbie Ray was uh, fantastic in his debut, and I, I think because they signed him before the lockout, I, I think that that's one of the ones that uh, a lot of people kind of forgot about because, you know, it was a couple signings and then baseball's over and then, it you know, it comes back in. And so it was it was great watching him and then watching uh, like like what what did Brash's breaking stuff look like yesterday? Because I mean, just some of the, like I saw some clips on pitching Ninja and just kind of those sites that were, were going off on whatever that kind of knuckle curve slider he was throwing, but that, that looked electric for a starter. Like, like that kind of looked like more stuff that you typically see out of like a, like a bullpen type of pitcher. Well, and that's, and that's the stuff that we saw exactly during spring training. And that's the kind of stuff that led to the kind of success that they wanted to see. And, why he ended up in the rotation in the first place, but this guy's development and his stuff in general has taken a big leap over the last, Oh, I'd say two years or so the fastballs in the high to mid nineties. Uh, it's a spike curveball, And then it's a slider with a kind of dramatic sweeping action to it, where he tunnels his pitches as such as that everything kind of looks like a fastball coming out of his hand, same arm arm speed on all his pitches. But then at the, Last second, if you, especially if you look at some of these clips of his slider, that thing just breaks away hard and late to a right-handed hitter, and that's a really tough pitch to deal with. Um, yeah, this stuff is just ridiculous. I'm going to be writing more about him um, this week, actually, and kind of digging into the trade, how they got him in the first place. But he's a fascinating guy and he's a pretty calm customer out there for a 23 year old, uh, you know, making his major league debut. He's got a lot of friends and family in the stands from Ontario, Canada. Um, you know, you got a full house in Chicago, everyone rooting against you. And that lineup was really good that the white Sox rolled out there. So I was super impressed by what I saw. 
I, I don't think anyone is going to be uh, playing their violins for us media types, but I did see the release from the Mariners today that they are uh, renovating Safeco. Uh, basically, they're taking out uh, the press box, which, nostalgia's sake, that was the first professional press box that I've ever been in, and they're they're moving it up the uh, the third baseline and instead putting in a uh, a bunch of seats for rich people. <laughs> that, that looked pretty yeah. nice. Um, one, like... What, what what do you think of just kind of like the overall, I, I know this is, you know, part of T-Mobile's uh, lease is they have to commit X amount of money uh, it, to, to renovations. And, and this kind of seemed like it was inevitable. But from an actual media person's perspective, like not actually being directly behind home plate, like how much is it going to impact like being able to like write about things like the movement on pitchers pitches and, and kind of like those sort of things where you guys did have traditionally have kind of perfect seats for that in, in the past? Yeah, we did. Uh, but luckily with, you know, with technology now with StatCast and uh, video replay and all that, that we, we, you know, we could still follow that pretty closely. And yeah, it's, it is going to be the end of an era. I mean, this was a press box, press box that was built for uh, postseason baseball and for all-star games. Um, they got a little bit of the, uh, each one of those early on at Safeco Field, now T-Mobile Park. But we've seen this happen, Tyson, with so many other stadiums. Um, Colorado, very much the same way. It was built sort of on the scale that the, the press box was in Seattle. Uh, they, they shortened and shortened that up. And certainly there's not as much media covering baseball as there once was. And in Toronto, they've moved it way down the third baseline, the Reds is down the line, the White Sox is down the first baseline. So yeah, I always thought, I, and I've, I've maintained this for years and years that this press box was going away at some point, uh, just because if you can monetize that better and add a revenue stream that didn't you know, exist before, why wouldn't you explore that? So, you know, yeah, it won't be quite the vantage point we had before, but honestly, that doesn't make a big, you know, as long as they're not moving us out to the parking lot, right? Um, as long as we can still see the game, I think it's going to be fine. But I always thought this to be uh, entirely inevitable. And, you know, they're, they're going to move forward on that now. And, you know, if maybe if they, they raise that revenue stream a little bit and can go out and get some better players eventually, uh, so be it. But, um, yeah, I, I just sort of saw this coming. And it, it, as a professional um, which I'm occasionally accused of being, um, it doesn't, uh, doesn't bother me now. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get you out of here on this and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Uh, uh -oh. what's a good beer our listeners should uh, pick up this week. Oh my gosh. Um, well, I just, I haven't been to this. I, I'm going to go off the grid here because yes. I, you know, I, again, I could just talk about great notion breakside and ruse and by the way, Ruse is opening a pizza collective on the Vancouver waterfront here this summer. They're going to serve uh, Detroit-style pizzas. And Tyson, Ooh. I think we're just going to have to, you know, for the sake of your listeners, we've probably got to go over there and try it just so we can let people know what's happening. Well, I, um, I yeah, I feel like we need to give they should pursue. I, I feel like we need to give them an honest and just review, which means we probably need to go three or four times to get a proper sampling of, of the entire selection. At least three or four times. So, uh, yeah, Vancouver waterfront is kind of blowing up. But, yeah, I still kind of find myself um, 
Oh, you know, you know where I went the other day, Tyson? Have you been to Steeplejack yet? I, I haven't yet, and it's been on my list for months because yeah. it looks so cool. It's, it's such a cool space. Obviously, it used to be a church, right? And now it is a beer hall, and um, it, it's just really cool. And the, they have very good food there. They uh, they have, um, you know, they brew their own beer there, which what I've had so far has been very good. So I think we need to get into that I-5 corridor um, line of it. Uh, expense budget and maybe go try that out <laughs> yeah i i doubt the uh the athletic would let us swing this but if, if you ever want to be our uh, our op-ed uh, uh beer uh beer reviewer uh you you, you got a place here for it <laughs> um well shoot Corey, Corey this was this was this was great man i am excited to go up and watch some baseball this year um anything anything coming on the athletic in in the future that uh uh that you're you're working on when is this uh, fine uh, this will probably podcast be, this, this will probably be coming out later this afternoon. Okay. I will say this, um, and I don't normally do this, but I am working on a very fun story that um, I've been working on for a few weeks, and yes. it ties in the Matt Brash, just exactly how, how on earth the Mariners got Matt Brash from the Padres. I love those types uh, of stories. As a player to be named later in the summer of 2020, and uh, – just how much this has benefited them. So that's coming soon at The Athletic. Awesome, awesome. Well, definitely looking forward to checking that one out. And uh, this was great, man. I, again, can't can't wait for baseball to catch up to the weather. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, uh, and, and best of luck this season, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to the I-5 Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider.